Hi, I'm Tom Zalatni, and you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week, we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. Before we dig in, we'd like to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where we're recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. I want to encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and with the indigenous communities of that area. As part of our conversation today with our special guest, Carol Ann Hoyt, we talk a little bit about this idea of terroir and about food sovereignty. Uh, food sovereignty is this idea that the people who are making and distributing the food should be as closely linked as possible with the process and the distribution of those foods and with the people who eat them. It's this idea that, you know, <laughs> in an ideal world, every community would just provide its own food for all of its members to kind of one dismantle the like oppressive capitalist systems that you know cause food to be way too expensive and you know give us that disconnect uh and and two just to kind of create more of an awareness with with regard to the food that we are eating right if you know the farmers who are (laughs) raising the livestock or growing the crops you get more of the story of that you feel better spending money on the things that you feel connected to and if you're you know struggling financially, it is easier to talk to a neighbor, right? It's easier to talk to a member of your community and say, hey, is there any chance that you can, you know, help me out here? We're hungry and we don't have money than it is to talk to, say, a mega corporation that, you know, factory farms chicken and sells you their eggs. And like, look, convenience food is convenient and there is no judgment toward people who need to eat it, who choose to eat it who who live off of it a lot of people are in situations where they have to right heck i eat a lot of convenience foods we do a lot of takeout we do a lot of you know boxed canned convenient products because that's the reality of the world we live in right it is it is extremely difficult to live in a way where food sovereignty is the norm or the the like only thing that you do but Food sovereignty is a wonderful thing to work toward, and the more we talk about it, the more we learn about it and educate people about it, the closer we get to building a world where it is possible, right? And so I guess my message here for you as a listener is don't feel like a bad person for eating convenience foods, (laughs) because you know what? You got to eat what you got to eat. Eat things that bring you joy. If what you need today to get by is McDonald's, eat some fucking McDonald's. You will enjoy it. If what you need is, you know, canned pasta, like eat canned pasta, like eat what you need to eat. The the most important thing is that you're eating. But look into ways to support local food sources, right? Look into ways to establish food sovereignty in your community. Talk to the people who are doing it already, wherever you are. Find ways to eat local, support local you will feel good in your soul and a lot of the time the food will be better and the price point won't necessarily be higher it's it's worth looking into these things and and seeing the ways that you can make tiny changes to help 
yourself and your community and the big picture. So with that being said, I'm very, very excited for today's show. Today's guest is Caroline Hoyt, the board vice president of Geordie Theatre here in Montreal. Uh, the Geordie Theatre is an organization that does tons of theatre content, plays, workshops, classes, you name it, especially aimed toward like kids and youth in Montreal, uh, but also toward their parents and toward young adults. And they do so much wonderful stuff here. They've been doing it for decades. And uh, they have a fundraiser coming up at the end of August on August 27th from 11 to 4 p.m. It's a Saturday. It's going to be at Selwyn House, which is a school here in Montreal, just down the street from where I went to high school, which uh, Caroline and I are going to get into a little bit in this conversation. Uh, Caroline is also a published author and former children's librarian, and uh, she is an absolute delight. She's the one who's putting this whole event together, and uh, we have a really great time chatting about some of the content that's going to be coming up as part of the programming for it, um, and some of the just sort of philosophy and attitude around why they're doing the event in the first place, what the link between the theater world and the food world is, and and how a food fair is kind of a wonderful way to do a fundraiser for a theater company. And yeah, I, I think you will get a lot out of this conversation. We also geek out about mangoes a little bit, so get ready for that and enjoy this episode of No Bad Food. Caroline, thank you so much for joining us on No Bad Food. Thank you, Tom, for having me today. So before we hear about the food fair and about your work with Jordy, uh, I always give the guests a chance to talk a little bit at the top of the show about their relationship with food. So how you grew up eating, what you eat now, how all of that has changed. So paint us a kind of broad picture of yourself culinarily. Okay. Well, I have a great love affair um, of mangoes. Okay. And um, I have a poem here, which I think really sums up how I feel about the fruit. So I was wondering if it was okay for me to share that to kick off our conversation. Absolutely. If, uh, if it's a poem written by someone else, just tell us who the author is so that we can give credit. Perfect. So this poem is called Mangoes by Leslie Newman, and she's a U.S. Uh, poet. And it goes like this. I've got to know before I go, do mangoes grow in heaven? Without that treat that tastes so sweet, don't want no seat in heaven. If there ain't none, at least a ton, won't be no fun in heaven. If they substitute another fruit, I'll give the boot to heaven. A mango a day, like the good doctors say, and I'll make my way to heaven. Will a mango slide through my fingers and glide down my throat as I float up to heaven? Now say for real, are there mangoes to steal and peel on the way up to heaven? If you say no, Leslie won't go. No mangoes isn't heaven. (laughs) That is wonderful. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Well, if a mango were a person, I would marry it. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When did you when did you like first fall in love with mangoes? I don't even know. I'm Canadian born, but my parents are from Barbados. So mangoes um, are clearly a popular fruit um, in the Caribbean, you know, so I've always grown up um, eating them and enjoying them. And as I've gotten older, I've discovered that there's actually quite um, a plethora of different types of them. And I think it's only been as an adult that I've realized my deep love and affection uh, for said fruit. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think there's 
like no exaggeration i think there are hundreds of different like uh cultivars of mangoes in the world so uh it's one of those things where to to people in like north america or in the caribbean a mango might taste completely different to people in like southeast asia where like you know you'll both call it a mango but like you could be talking about radically different fruits but at the same time they're not like entirely different right like they're they are part of the same family so like there is going to be a little bit of similarity but that's something i find so fun about mangoes is that they are like such a a wide swath like it's almost like the apple of tropical fruits you know exactly exactly um and you had asked about like um, my relationship with food so mm-hmm. i just wanted to add going on a slightly uh, different uh, path is that like my relationship with food is one that's somewhat wary and when i say wary it's because I have a very uh, weak <laughs> gag reflex. Oh, no. So as much as as much as I like to try different meat and whatnot, I'm always um, ready to find that piece of fat lurking in, in unexpected places. Mm. <laughs> so um, even though I'm not vegetarian or vegan, I feel safer with fruits and vegetables because I know there is never um, there's never a, a, a piece of fat to be <laughs> to be found. <laughs> Sure, yeah. And yeah, and then also what's interesting um is that growing up, um I would suffer when I say I shouldn't say suffer, but I would have um um stomach aches after eating certain types of food like um fast food from a chain that begins with the letter M or um you know having a, a nice big breakfast of pancakes or french toast and i always thought that the stomach ache meant that maybe i had had too much of the food or it was too rich for me but it was in my 30s that i actually realized that i have ulcerative colitis oh no so okay. I, yeah so i was dealing with this for for years and not knowing that's actually what it was but not to worry i am treated for it and it's and it's in it's all in hand you know but uh that's one part of my kind of food relationship and i have to confess that french fries are my crack sure i I can't resist french fries (laughs) (laughs) you know i get it i get it it's it's one of those things like you know like there there are fries that are better than other fries but even the worst fries are still fries you know Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's funny. Like I, I hear what you're saying about that, like that sort of meat fat surprise struggle. There's a sentence, but y- you know what I mean. Like the, like you were saying when you're when you're eating something, and then all of a sudden there's like a textural thing that is just not what you want to be swallowing, and it's it's a. Uh, I usually just power through it, but there have definitely been times when I I have to stop for a second and go, oh nope, that's not for me, and like spit it out onto the plate, or it's it's always kind of. It's called, it's always kind of embarrassing in that moment, you know, if you're like, you have to take something out of your mouth and it's like, there's no elegant way to do that. And then you're like, ah, oh, crap, like I've just, you know, like maybe you've insulted the people you're eating with or maybe you've offended someone. But like at the end of the day, like you can't, you can't make yourself swallow something that you can't swallow, you know? Exactly. But the thing is too, I mean, you know, what's a, a mild, like a millisecond of embarrassment for the alternative, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, and especially like, especially if you have like digestive stuff, like ulcerative colitis is no joke, right? Like that, that is a like hardcore digestive problem. And like, you've got to be careful, you know, at the end of the day, like food is, is what it is to each person who's eating it. And if the food that you're trying to eat is going to, you know, 
destroy you, it's probably not worth it. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I've gotten to a point now, like with the medication and whatnot, that I do a little bit of bargaining, negotiating. Like I'm like, okay, um, is this worth the the discomfort that it might cause me? Some things are worth it, some things are not. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, it's a bit of a like calculated risk, shall we say, when partaking in, you know, potentially problematic food, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, like, as a, as a, like, lifelong lactose intolerant who also has a, like, sommelier level understanding of cheese, I, uh, -hmm. (laughs) I gotta say, like, sometimes you gotta take that risk, right? Exactly. Sometimes it's worth it. Exactly. 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 Do you have a favorite type of mango? Just to come back to this, you know, you know, for some, for someone who know who loves mangoes so much, I don't even really know the names of them, but sure. the ones I like are because um, I know there's some kind of flat-ish yellow ones that are small, sure, on the small side. Those aren't my favorite. Okay, <laughs> the ones that are my favorite <laughs> are the larger fuller rounder ones that um the skin is usually like yellow orange with a bit of a reddish blush but before they're fully ripe they're usually more green with red so those ones (laughs) okay yeah yeah to me that's like the that's the kind of quintessential mango that we find in grocery stores here for the most part right is the um Mm -hmm. i would probably make a fool of myself trying to like name the type of mango that it is but i think like Certainly people from Montreal will know exactly the mango you're talking about because it is like the mango mm-hmm. that we get here the most. And like, I'm right there with you. That is my that is my sweet spot for mangoes. Do you have a favorite like use of mango beyond just snacking on it? Mm, not really, but they're quite yummy in a, in a, I don't know if it's poke or pokey bowl. Sure, they're yeah. quite yummy in that. And also like, you know, in a smoothie and um you know mango salsa so those are some of the ways that can be fun to enjoy it sure yeah yeah i mean i i definitely bringing up the mango salsa thing like mango is one of those fruits that just pairs really nicely with something spicy you know so like mixing with like Mm -hmm. a habanero pepper for instance is like that's a that's a dream you know and speaking of spicy you just reminded me you know mango chutneys right sure yeah yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's it. Mango is, it's really, and I think this comes back to the thing of it being a, you know, internationally loved fruit with thousands of cultivars. Like, it has a huge versatility to it in terms of what you can use it for. And it, I think because it, like, lends itself well, or not even just lends itself well, but, like, is native to, like, Caribbean and Southeast Asian cuisines, it has a lot of really, like, interesting and exciting uses a lot of the time because like those are cuisines that Mm -hmm. aren't just like i don't know it's a fruit put it in a in a pie it's like no this is a fruit let's like let's explore that a little bit more and i love that Mm -hmm. i love any sort of like fruit or vegetable that like gets used in a kind of more almost savory application i'm into it definitely definitely i hear you tom i hear you So the poem that you read before, the mango poem, is that from the book of poems about food that you uh, that you released a few years ago? Actually, no. It's from a book called The Poetry Friday Anthology for Middle School, Poems for the School Year with Connections to the Common Core. So it's a, a book in which I have um, a poem as well, but that one just was very appropriate for, you know, what I wanted to say <laughs> and for, you know, the theme of your uh, podcast. Yeah, but the other book that I had put together a few years ago was called um, A Dear Tomato. Yeah. 
Awesome. And that features um, poems from um, around the world, from about 30-something writers talking about food and agriculture. Yeah. I love that. I love exploring food from that sort of more creative or not even necessarily more creative because I guess like you know cooking is also creative but you know what I mean from the from the sort of storytelling lens of of poetry right it it gives Mm -hmm. us a different sort of angle and a different sort of language to use to talk about food exactly definitely what's uh if people want to pick up dear tomato what's the way that they can do it that gets the most money into your pocket because i i always want to make sure that like if i'm linking people to a book that a that an interviewee is written i want to make sure that you actually get the the money from it and not jeff bezos you know Right, right. Um, And I also like to promote independent booksellers. So the best way would be to get it from any independent bookseller um, in North America. But if you are in the Montreal area where we both are based, I would highly recommend Babar Books in the Point Clair Village. 514-694-0380. I I worked there uh, many years ago. And so they're really knowledgeable staff that knows a lot about Canadian children's literature and just literature in general, young adult books, and also um, picture books and uh, uh, beginning uh, novels and, uh, you know, middle grade fiction. Amazing. I love Babar books. They have a location a couple blocks away from where I went to high school. And uh, actually, my high school English teacher, shout out to Kim Saipas, was, uh, at the time at least, was working at the uh, the location in Point Claire, I'm pretty sure. Shut the front door, Tom. Kim Saipas was there when I worked there. Amazing. And she, yeah, and she teaches English at West Mountain High School, which was just down the road from where I just recently worked at Solon House. Yeah, yeah. I uh, That's it. Yeah. I, she was my English teacher grade 10 and 11. I love her. She is, I think, one of the, if not the best English. Yeah, I, I think I can actually confidently say the best English teacher that I have ever had in my life. Lovely, lovely <laughs> lady. Really, really compassionate, really fantastic teacher, honestly. The world is so small. <laughs> All right, we are going to take a quick break to go over to the mid-roll, and then when we get back, we are going to hear more about the upcoming Geordie Food Fair. If you're enjoying the show so far, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. For every new rating and review we get during the month of July, we'll be donating $2 to The Depot, our local food bank here in NDG. You want to talk about people who are making waves in the alternative food space, people who are giving sovereignty to the people who need the food in the community? The Depot is doing exactly that. They are more than just a food bank. They are teaching people how to eat and how to cook and how to take care of themselves and their community and their loved ones through food. And they are doing a lot of wonderful work. So help them out. (laughs) Leave a rating and review of our show and we will donate a little extra money to them. They can turn every $1 that they get in donations into $3 worth of food for a family in need. So by doing the simple free act of leaving a rating and review of the show, you're basically donating $6 worth of food to people who need it. That's like two mangoes. God, mangoes are expensive, but they're so tasty. It's it's worth it. Um, realistically, it's also like a lot of pasta and rice and, and these staples that help people eat on a daily basis. Uh, and there is no other way to turn zero into six. I've tried. You can't turn zero into six. There's nothing you can do. 
there's no way. It's crazy math. So if that's exciting for you, go do it. You can read all about what The Depot is doing at the link in the description of this episode. A reminder that this show is entirely funded by listeners like you. So if you are interested in helping us keep the lights on here in our studio, uh, helping us feed our family because we uh, need to feed them, uh, you can head to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod to donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show. Uh, so if that's exciting for you, if you like the idea of like having a hand a little bit in the production of a podcast, about food that's cool you know it's almost like you are walking into a restaurant and i am there to serve your ears and you ask for the menu and i'm like well the free menu is uh what it is but if you give me even a dollar you get to tell me what you want cooked and i will cook it straight into your eardrums for you that's pretty cool I don't know any restaurants that are actually like that, where the menu is entirely up to the patrons. So, you know, have a, have a food ears from, my, from me. Patreon.com slash NoBadFoodPod. All right, that's enough from me. Let's get back to my conversation with Caroline. Okay, we are back here for the second half of the show, still talking to Caroline Hoyt from the Geordie Theater. Caroline, at the top of the show, we teased this a little bit, so let's get into it. You're here today to promote the upcoming food fair uh, happening August 27th. Let's talk about it. What's going on? What's happening there? What are the sort of goals of the fundraiser? Give us give us all the important information. Okay. Well, people wouldn't normally think of theater having a relationship with food, but you know, when you're trying to fundraise for a nonprofit, um, being able to think out of the box helps quite a bit. <laughs> and and living in the pandemic has sometimes uh, posed challenges, shall we say, to do things um, in the way we would normally do them. So we had hoped to have an in-person gala in conjunction with one of our um productions. But at the time when we were planning for that, a lot of things were up in the air in terms of um, protocol for keeping people safe and convening in large groups and whatnot. So we had to shelve that and come up with another way to raise, um, you know, a sizable amount of money. So that's when I thought of uh, the idea of a food fast or food fair. And the link that I like to, um, to uh, like explain to people is that st- Theater tells a story, but our food also tells a story. So Mm. it's the idea of story that links theater with food. And I just feel that um, these days there can be a disconnect between what we eat and what we like eating and where it comes from and and, um, being removed from all of the people who are involved um, in the, the growing and the production and the transportation and the serving of of our food so i think one goal beyond raising money of course is to just bring people back to the table as it were to have a conversation around food and just to think and reflect on um, the different ways that food touches our lives and just how how we eat food or the food we choose to eat influences the lives of other people I love that. Yeah, I mean that's that is such a that's such a uh, a big big truth in the world right now, right? Is that the more and more that we as a society move toward convenience foods and toward quick 
solutions to eating and quick solutions to nourishment and, and treating food as sustenance more than as a like joyous experience, the more we become disconnected from from where that food comes from and what the story of that food is. So I, I love that the focus of this event is on the stories of the food and, and not just on, you know, how do we cook an omelet? You know, it's it's more than that. It's like, what what is an egg? Where is this egg from? Who is the farmer who made this egg? And why does it matter who the farmer who made this egg is? Or I guess the farmer mm-hmm. who, you know, raised the chicken who made this egg. Ideally, exactly. your farmer is not the one popping the eggs out. <laughs> and speaking of farmers, <clears throat> I don't yet have, we don't yet have a farmer lined up um, represented at our event. So that is a piece of the puzzle that I'm hoping to have. Um, in in place uh, by the time the event rolls around, yeah, yeah. So so, what is some of the programming that we've got lined up so far? Okay, so there's a local um, children's writer by the name of Anne Renault, and she will be there reading two of her books. One is called Mr. Crumb's Potato Predicament, and so that's about the fellow whose name temporarily escapes me, um, who is credited with inventing the potato chip, and so he was a chef in upstate New York, I believe, a BIPOC chef. I think he was part Black, part Indigenous. And so it's a picture book biography of of this uh, historical figure. So she'll be reading that book and following up with a craft activity. And then she will also be reading another of her books called The Boy Who Invented the Popsicle. So that book, again, is another picture book biography about Frank Epperson, who invented the popsicle when he was a kid. And then she will also be following up the reading of that book with a craft activity. And I'm in talks now with a uh, Chinese-Canadian author, local, whose name is Daisy Lee. And she wrote a picture book, which unfortunately is now out of print, but can still be um, purchased as an ebook. And her she has a picture book called The Fragrant Garden, which is based on um, an incident that happened to her growing up at her family's uh, restaurant. And so, and I'm hoping to also have her talk about a documentary that she made recently that's about the history of her family's restaurant, which no longer exists. And it's called Meet Me at Lee's Garden. So that's um, one part of the programming. Um, Learn Quebec, who works with all of the, um, the province's English language schools, they have a whole program called Sustainability and Environmental Education Institute. So they will be promoting that part of their work at the event. And they will also be uh, teaching kids and I guess anyone else who wants to how to create self-watering planters. And, uh, And I'm also in talks with the First Nations community group who among their many different issues they address, they deal with food sovereignty. So I'm hoping um, we're in talks and it looks like they're likely to be on board with us. And so something that they've offered as an activity is corn braiding. So those are just some of the things so far that we have lined up in terms of, uh, of, of programming so far, but there is more to come. That's amazing. All of that sounds very cool. And like, I I love that this is, this seems to me like an event that's going to be really great for audiences of all ages, right? Like it's not just Mm -hmm. for kids. It's not just for adults. A lot of the time with food events, 
it can kind of go one way or the other, right? Where it's like, oh, this is like a really heady adult symposium kind of thing. Or like, oh, this is, you know, a kid's like cooking craft event. But this sounds like, I mean, this sounds like something that like if, you know, we're going to bring our kids and they're going to have a great time, but it's also going to be really engaging for us as adults and as parents. And I, I think that's really important with food, right? Because that is that is how food continues to be the important story that it is, right? Is through letting multiple generations come together around it. Exactly. And I just thought of two things I'd like to just add. Sure. Babar Books will be there. And so they will be selling uh, food-themed children's and young people's literature, as well as cookbooks and all that good stuff. And then last year, Jordi had created its own cookbook as a donation thank you gift. So this just seemed like an obvious and logical place to promote that uh, publication. And what we will also be doing is having some of the Jordi staff and some of the uh, Jordi board members prepare recipes which they had contributed to the cookbook will prepare and uh, serve samples of some of those um, recipes so that's another piece as well that's amazing i love that i love the idea of a cookbook with samples at, at an event like that is that is not something i've ever experienced before but i think that makes so much sense right because you can't you can't just promote a cookbook right like you can't just be like here's here's my cookbook Look at the pictures. <laughs> Imagine that you're eating it. It's so much more effective to be like, here's the cookbook. And if you open to page 24, you're going to get Mama Jillian's best roast chicken, which uh, I have right here conveniently prepared for you. Taste it. Enjoy it. Definitely. I think that's going to be so much fun, honestly. I, I'm really looking forward to being there. Well, me too. And it's very <laughs> experimental because, you know, the first time you you try something, you learn as you go. And we've put a lot of uh, work into it. And I feel that it is going to be great. It's going to be fun. And it will be worth replicating, taking away what we've learned doing it for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's it. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. the first the first year of an event is always a learning process. But I mean, just from the lineup that you've got so far, I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the, the whole thing about food is that it is a thing that brings people joy. And so I think it's really hard to have a food event that doesn't go well at the end of the day, because it's joy, right? It's it's mm-hmm. people expressing their joy through something that lets other people consume that joy. So, you know, I guess it could be possible to have a food event that is completely devoid of joy, but I think that would be more on the like diet and nutrition side of things. And this sounds a lot more <laughs> fun than that. So like, I, I think you're good. I don't think you have to worry about anything. I think people are going to love this. And, and uh, Tom, as we talk, I keep on remembering things. So another piece that we we have um, locked in is that the Westmount Library, which is just down the street from Selwyn House, where the event is taking place, mm-hmm. they have a seed library. So the Westmount Public Library's seed library will also be represented at the event, and people can find out about joining it and what a seed library is and why it's important. So that's another piece of the puzzle that we already have confirmed. So I just wanted to mention that. That's awesome. They they just recently reopened their greenhouse, right? Mm-hmm, they did. The, the idea of a seed library is so cool to me. Definitely. And I'm so glad the greenhouse is reopened because my son is turning nine. And for many years, it's been closed. And he would ask me every year, like, when will it open? And I'm like, I don't know. So now, <laughs> I think 
four years have passed and it's reopened so i'm very excited to take him in to see it <laughs> yeah that's the best i spent so much time so that you know yeah. we've alluded to this already you know it's taking place at selwyn house which is a school in westmount where i also went to school uh, at westmount high which is like two three blocks away from there uh so Mm -hmm. this is such a nostalgic thing for me that like all of the sort of people involved are people who like or or at the very least organizations that i grew up with in the neighborhood that i spent a lot of time in i spent countless hours at the westmount library when i was a teenager and a young adult it's it's gonna be it's it's really cool for me like just as a (laughs) as a like montreal kid who spent a lot of time in westmount growing up there's there's something really fun for me about this event being there and like the story for me personally being so linked to to this place geographically I think is going to be really cool and like that kind of connection there of like geography and food to me is like one of the biggest storytelling tools that we have with with our food and with our our location I don't know if I'm expressing this well because my my brain is going a mile a minute because I'm so excited about this but but there's this this idea of terroir right where Mm -hmm. it especially affects like crops and and cheese and wine and anything that kind of like grows I, I guess meat too right like anything that grows in a place is gonna taste like that place a little bit mm-hmm. and you can have you know people making an identical recipe for cheese using milk from two different places fermenting that cheese in two different places and you know the cheese will be affected by the air of those individual places and the milk will be a little different even if it's the same like species of cow that made the milk it's going to taste different because that grass is going to be a little different and the air that that cow breathed is going to be different and you're going to end up with two different cheeses and like they're going to be similar because they're the same kind of cheese but they're going to taste really different because of the terroir of the place and for me there's something so beautiful about that and there's something so beautiful about again this is super selfish because like it's not you know universal that everybody who's you know going to go to this thing has spent as much time in Westmount as I have but but for me there's something really fun about this event being this like food storytelling thing that takes place in a place that I feel like is in my blood too you know yeah and the thing is is that when you're talking about the concept of terroir is that like it was only a few years ago that I realized that broccoli can be grown in Quebec. And let me tell you, Tom, that broccoli that I'm picturing, it was a a much more vivid green than some of the other broccoli that doesn't come from Quebec. And it tasted different also, and it tasted like fresher. Um, And well, it didn't have the trauma of long travel to get here. So, you know, and it didn't have to be picked earlier than necessary for transportation. (laughs) So the way it looks, the way it tastes, you know, because of it coming um, from a lot closer, you you can't deny the difference in buying like local food whenever possible, of course, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's it. My my sort of philosophy on eating local is do it as much as you can. There's no there's no moral judgment, you know, like if people can't do it, that's okay. But if you can do it, do it. You owe it to yourself. I mean, like you a little bit owe it to the planet. I'm not going to like I'm not going to lie. Like, obviously, it would be very good (laughs) for the planet and good for the local economy. And like on a on a large scale, it'd be awesome if everybody just ate local all the time. But like more than that. The responsibility is to yourself to 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 give yourself that lovely thing of 
eating the the local produce, eating the local meat, taking the things that that let you connect to that story a little bit more, and taking the things that just feel better to your body as a result. Definitely. And I just live around the corner and down the street from a 24-hour market that opens up usually, I guess, April 1st, and then it closes around, I think it's usually late October, early November. And because of my neighborhood, I'm in Copeton Age, and I'm in, you know, um, a hop, skip, and a jump from three hospitals, if you can believe living in in a neighborhood with three hospitals. And so they're like, that market is open 24 hours, and there are people in there all the time. And it's just so great to see them every year and to just be able to support local uh, growers and to have really have that like all around the clock access as needed. So it's just fun. And I find it can often, um, or in some instances, it can be um, more economical too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Cause you're not, you're not paying the same, you're not paying for the import costs, right? So you, you know, some of it is that you're it it, it can vary a lot right like i I mean i work in you know grocery stores so i like i've seen this firsthand that like sometimes the local stuff is a little more expensive because those farmers need to charge a little bit more because they you know (laughs) aren't producing it on the same mass scale as as Mm -hmm. these factory farms but oftentimes what actually ends up happening is that the price kind of evens out because what they charge extra for their production costs they charge less for the import which means more of the money is going into the pocket of the farmer and less of it's going into the pocket of whatever you know third party is making it you know reach your grocery store so like usually if there's a price difference it's like 10 cents 50 cents Mm -hmm. max Mm -hmm. and that just feels worth it you know for sure for sure and I'd like to pay more for something if you know more of it's going to the grower or the farmer, you know? Yeah, exactly. It, it feels a little yeah. bit... <laughs> I, I don't... I don't... Like, this show isn't explicitly an anti-capitalist food show, but I like to kind of get into that a little here and there, you know? And and to me, it does feel like a good way to fight the system a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. And I also want to just, like... I noticed that there is a real and and I'm I'm guessing this is intentional but there there is a real diversity to the lineup and I think that that really matters when we're talking about food. Yeah, having having an indigenous presenter come and tell us about corn braiding and having having Daisley coming in to talk about her family's restaurant and and the picture book and like having all of these people who have these varied backgrounds paints a much more interesting picture of food to me that I think matters a lot. Exactly. And the organizations that I have in mind who would be doing some of those activities around corn braiding, one of their um, issues that their organization uh, addresses is food sovereignty. So there would be an opportunity for them to talk about that food sovereignty piece, because I know um, most people haven't heard that term. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's about just getting people to like learn new terms um that are used in the conversation around food you know like food sovereignty or food apartheid food deserts you know mm-hmm. the usual lingo <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. um yeah, yeah fair trade you know those kinds of things yeah yeah that's it food, food sovereignty for for any listeners who aren't familiar i'll just read wikipedia's definition of it because it works very well. Um, So food sovereignty is a food system in which the people who produce, distribute, and consume food also control the mechanisms and policies of the food production and distribution. Uh, So it's essentially like this idea of eating local to its kind of like logical conclusion, right? Of of it being very, I mean, sovereign, right? It it is like, it's kind of 
it is a perfect name for the thing that it describes. It's it's giving the people who are eating and making the food the power to eat and make that food and all of the sort of ecosystem around that. Definitely. Exactly. You got it. I love that. I, uh, I'm so excited for this event. <laughs> I don't know if you me can tell too. this is this is right up my alley when you reached out to me about it I was like oh heck yeah like I'm so glad not only glad that I can be part of it but glad that it exists because like even if scheduling hadn't worked out and I couldn't be there I would have been so hyped that you're doing it and so I'm really really glad that it exists and that you're doing it and that you're taking this in, this initiative and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes and seeing how it goes for years to come thank you so much Tom uh, so before we go I want to uh, just remind everybody that is the Jordy Food Fair uh, put together by Geordie Theatre. It's going to be at Selwyn House School here in Montreal on August 27th. It's a Saturday from 11 to 4 p.m. Come out to it. Is there, remind me, is there a ticket price for entry? Is it all by donation? It's free admission, but there will be the opportunity to buy food um, being provided by Sodexo because Selwyn has a, a link to that company. And uh, I'm, I'm working on getting a, a food truck or two. So Ooh. that's in the works. So um, bring money to buy books, to buy food, to leave donations, all that good stuff. But you can get the there is no um, admission fee, and it's happening rain or shine. Sweet. We will just move it indoors if it, it rains. But I'm convinced and I'm determined that August 27th will be a sunny day. Look, <laughs> the odds are pretty good. The odds are pretty good that mm-hmm. it'll be a sunny day. Late August in Montreal is usually a, a reasonably sunny time, so hopefully that works out. Uh, but yeah, worst case, indoor food events are still awesome. The benefit of an indoor food event is that the smells stay contained, so you get more of them. So there's, yeah. so either way, it's a win-win situation, you know? You're either going to get to enjoy exactly. food outdoors in the sun, or you're going to get to enjoy the smell of food even harder indoors. It doesn't even have to be a sunny day. I'll settle for a dry day. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Overcast is actually ideal, really. Let's, let's get, like, bright but cloudy, you know, so that I don't sweat as much. <laughs> yeah, I, that is going to well, be so much fun. I hope that everybody listening to this who is able to be here that day comes out to it because it is going to be a lot of fun. And thank you so much for having me and giving me the opportunity to talk about this great event. Um, You know, it's it's to raise much needed funds for Jordy Theatre, but also just to have people having fun around food, talking about food, thinking about food, learning about food while supporting a very worthy cause at the same time. Thank yeah, you so much. Absolutely. Yeah, before we go, um, just because we haven't talked much about what Jordy does yet, do you want to like remind people oh. here, you know, uh, so yeah, it is a fundraiser for Jordy Theatre. You guys do tons of programming throughout the year. A lot of it aimed toward like kids and families. You're an awesome organization. Do you want to like paint a little picture of, of that before we go? Sure. So Jordy Theatre produces English language plays for youth and their their adults. <laughs> and they've been in existence since 1980. And the way um, it's con- it consists of three parts. So there's a Jordy Theatre School where kids and teens can um, have classes in, in theatre classes. So that's that's one part. The second part is its main stage production, a uh, main stage series, where those are plays that are performed for the general public. And it's bread and 
Butter um, flagship event, as it were, is its two play tour. So that's its school tour. That um, is the longest school tour in um, the country. It runs for seven months and that involves an elementary school show. Um, that goes in, of course, to the elementary schools and also um, involves a, a teen show, which goes into the high schools. And so those shows are presented in the schools and it tours across Quebec, Ontario, and also into Eastern Canada as well. Love it. Consider this my like vote of confidence that this is an incredible organization doing really, really wonderful work and they deserve your support. And in this instance, you can support them by eating food and, and learning about food. So please come out to the event on the 27th. Bring your wallets. Uh, will there be ways to pay by debit or should people bring cash? Bring cash, but I'm also in the process of setting up the opportunity to also pay with alternative uh, forms of, of payment, debit or, or credit. So that's in the works. I'm in discussion with the tech team at Selwyn to try and make that happen. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, sounds yeah. good. So yeah, so bring cash to be on the safe side, which is always just a good policy. You know, have cash on you and yeah. come out come out ready to spend some money and support this wonderful organization and learn about tasty things in the process. Great. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> Thank you so much. Do you have any uh, social media you want to plug in the meantime for people to check out? Um, I don't have it on hand, but you can always go to the Geordie uh, Theater website. And also we are um, listed on Montreal Families event page and a few different places around uh, the internet. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was lovely. Thank you, Tom. And that brings us to the end of our show. Thank you so much for listening to No Bad Food. Do you want to be part of the conversation? Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at NoBadFoodPod and individually at TufferBear and at TomZalatni. If you like this episode and want to help us make the show even better, you can head to Patreon.com slash NoBadFoodPod to donate. Like I said earlier, for as little as a dollar a month, you'll be joining the ranks of fine folks like Gab, Kendall and Thomas, Anne, Erica, Carlea, Andrew, Chantal, David, Mallory, and Sarah. Patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show. So if that's exciting for you, you can head to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod to make it happen. We also have merch, and you can hit the merch link in the description to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at TeePublic. And of course, you can support us for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice and by sharing this episode with a friend. Our theme music is by Zach Deer Tomato Ingles, and our cover art is by David How Many Men Could a Mango Go If a Mango Could Go Man? Flam. You can find links for both of them in the description of this episode. I don't know what that was. Last but certainly not least, the show is produced and edited by me, Tom Zalat, and I as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. See you next week, and also see you on the 27th at the Geordie Food Fair. Come to it. We'll be there. You Bye. Understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little time. I'm October Jones, Hi, and this I'm is... I'm Fish With Legs. I'm a fish I'm with legs. Fish. I'm the elemental creature of water, and I'm here to tell you about my podcast called October Jones and Fish With Legs, starring me and my best friend, <laughs> October Jones. Nailed it. 
October and Fish is a fictional series that follows me and Fish with Legs as we try to stop an evil two-headed snake from releasing a terrible monster. And make friends and go on adventures and get captured a lot and escape a lot and encounter racism. And what? And learn very special lessons every third episode. I have not learned a single lesson. Yes, you did. We learned about being friends and authoritarianism and colonialism and how to defeat a giant crab. Authoritarianism? They're in authority for a reason, Fish With Legs. If everyone followed the rules set in place by the human government, then there wouldn't be- Fun for adults and kids. <laughs> New episodes on Mondays. You can find it wherever you find podcasts, and of course, on the Upford website. Okay, that's it. Bye! Hey there, I'm David. I'm Tess. I'm Giovanni. And I'm Greg. And we're Left Trigger, Right Trigger, your video game book club. Each episode, we pick a topic, and each of us brings a video game that we think best fits that topic. Tune into the show to find out how Super Mario Land is all about travel. Or how Bloodborne is a game about sacrifice. Or how SimCity is actually a conspiracy to mine data about human infrastructure. No, we have to stop with this right now. We're doing a a promo. Please stop. Intrigued? A little scared? Us too. Make sure to catch us every other Tuesday on your favorite podcatcher app. See you there.